the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Herenia Capital Advisors, a registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders, for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Welcome to episode 86 of Magic Markets. Always fun, always exciting, and especially when you're on the show, Petri, I think you make it... Uh, Really cool. You bring a lot of energy there from your business, Herenia, all about the markets, all about trading, and I think all about helping people get it right, especially when the markets are hard, but also when they're a little bit easier and everyone can make money, which has not been the case for a while. But before I welcome you, Mo, still in Joburg, not for too much longer. I'm coming up to visit you this week, which I'm quite stoked about. I'll be dodging potholes to come and say hello. It's good to have you. Ghost, we thank you for your sacrifice, you know, <laughs> still in South Africa. Uh, always a pleasure doing this with you uh, and hoping to, to get to see Pietri as well in the flesh after many, many years. But uh, Pietri, welcome to Magic Markets. Uh, let's have some fun today, guys. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Welcome to Africa. Welcome back. Um, and yeah, hopefully we do get to spend some time together later this week. It'll be really nice. I haven't seen you since I think it was the preparation session at some JSC event thing that we had a whole... Since I had hair, Pietro. Yeah. Be polite and just say it the way it is. It's since I had hair and, and since you used to wear suits, which you've now traded in for, for sweaters and hoodies, very similar <laughs> to me, I guess. I've got, a, I've got a jacket in the back here in my office, which just kind of lives on the hanger. I suppose I have to take it home to wash it. It's been there for months now, and it's just my Monday jacket because i got to do like a TV interview, put on my jacket on for like five minutes, hang it up again. These were Mo's GQ best dressed days. Hey, Pietri? Yeah, man, I remember. That was that was a lot of fun, actually, because the first time I think I met you, Mo, was at that JSC thing. It was like some uh, conference thing that we were both speakers at, and we kind of sat in this huge you thing, and it was like, hey, you're this person. Yeah, you're this person. Yeah. Well, it's quite a bit fun. A long time ago, eh? Wow. Yeah, and I, I still have, and I've, I've, I've promised, and for, for our listeners, I'm going to go and find it. I'm going to sp- find some time. I'm going to go find some very old footage of you and I together on the desk at CNBC, oh, yes. uh, mainly because we both look so different today. But yeah, uh, listeners, if I don't do that, you're going to hold me to that because I have yeah, to find I wanna, that footage. I want to see have that. To share the, I have to share No, it. that would have been around <laughs> the time that I met you, although I certainly was not on TV at the time, but... Yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool memories. Anyway, so moving on from historical TV characters. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Pietri, I think on this show, the game plan is actually to talk about some of the trading infrastructure that you guys use at Herenia, but we won't do it in a technical way. We'll do it in a way that helps people understand, I suppose, what the next level looks like. I think a lot of people have come into the markets using a very easy-to-use friendly platform like in Easy Equities, for example, which does do what it says on the tin, without a doubt, and they've created a whole lot of people in the markets who would otherwise not have been there, which is wonderful. But 
of course, anything that comes with a relatively low cost, etc., is going to have limitations, right? And for those who want to take it more seriously or trade more frequently or do derivatives or, for that matter, trade rather than just have long-term investments, there's quite a lot more to it, isn't there? Yeah, I think this is a very complex topic, actually, because, you know, there's, there's two schools of thought. You know, the, the car doesn't make the driver, right? Um, I don't know, those who are Formula One fans out I, there. I was about to say, you obviously haven't been watching... Ferrari this year. <laughs> let's not uh, let's not go there too much. Look, I've, I used to be a biggest Formula One fan, but I haven't watched in a long time. And I've got a friend and a ghost who often talk about the Formula One stuff, and I don't always follow or understand. But the tool does not make the artisan. Let me put it that way, right? Um, you could use rudimentary tools and still create, uh, you know, world-renowned sculptures, kind of thing. You know, a more complete set of tools does help you sort of navigate the market a bit easier. So it really depends on what your what your objective is, right? Do you need to get the the fanciest car available just to get to the office and back, or will a small easy to to do the trick? You know what I mean. So it depends on what your goal is and what your uh, objective is. For those who are slightly more active and want to use things contingent orders, for example. So you want to be able to put an order in that says, if, you know, pick a stock, coronation trades above 33 Rand or the bid for coronations at 33.01, I want to enter uh, a limit order at 33.05 for a thousand shares and attach a stop loss to that that trails by 2% uh, and put a take profit on at, you know, 35 Rand. You can enter that order. That is obviously a lot more advanced than something where you just press buy or sell, right? So the question is, do you really have need for a system that's going to allow you to put in a complex contingent order like that, or don't you? Uh, the answer is for majority of people is they don't. Uh, majority of people are going to need something that allows you to buy at 33 and when it gets there, you'll have to watch it. And then you put in your stop loss at you know 32 and you put in your take profit at 35 or 36 or whatever the price is. And that's it, right? That's the, the very simple sort of entry, order entry, stop loss, take profit functionality. Some people might be a lot more active and want to do, you know, complex contingent orders uh, with trailing stop losses and all that kind of stuff. So it really depends on the, the necessary, or the individual need. Yeah, I, I just want to jump in here, Petri, because I, I think, you know, just very recently, I was speaking to one of our subscribers from Magic Markets Premium. I had a cup of coffee with a guy when I was, you know, he's here in Joburg. And he was asking me some questions around, you know, what platform do you use when you trade? These kinds of questions. I want to almost step back a little bit. I mean, you're talking about contingent orders. And I, I think that's already like three levels too deep. So I want to almost rewind <laughs> all the way back to the start, right? I mean, when I started doing this, you would go onto an online share trading platform. I had no idea, you know, what I was actually trading. It's generally a single stock. And then there was the era of single stock futures before CFDs or contracts for differences became a thing. Uh, and now we're in an era where a lot of guys are trading kind of spot on stocks. We're not talking derivatives. We're not talking options. We're not talking leverage necessarily. But even with something as simple as that, what a lot of people, especially listeners, subscribers who are just starting out on the investment journey, I think the first thing they're going to be coming across, certainly in this current era, is something like fractional ownership. You know, not a lot of people can go and buy an Amazon share at over $2,000 uh, a stock. And so as a result, they go and they buy pieces of, of a stock. And that's something as simple as fractional ownership. Now, the reason I raise this, and I want to almost start at this point, and then we can move our way through in terms of, you know, what's a limit order? What's a market order? What are contingent orders? Is that when it comes to fractional ownership, what a lot of people don't realize is that 
you're not transacting with the market. There's this thing called DMA or direct market access, which again, people familiar with trading will know you want DMA. DMA's first prize, this puts your order in the, or in the market directly and so forth. But when you're in the fractional space or when you're just starting out, you are actually dealing with whoever your broker may be. So if you don't mind, can we maybe start off on a basic platform of explaining some of those nuances to, to the listeners as well? Okay, so I think... Okay, let's start with the terminology. DMA, as you mentioned, is direct market access, right? So that is when you're trading in the real market. So uh, OTC is the other version, which is over the counter, right? So here you are generally trading with a counterparty. In some cases, it's your broker. In some cases, it's a liquidity provider that your broker uses. But there is a, call it liquidity provider, is the, the term that the market uses for it, or a market maker is another uh, term for it that stands ready to buy from and sell to you individual derivative contracts, whether that be for a contract on one entire share, like a, like a contract for difference, for example, or a contract for difference on a fractional share. So what is a contract for difference? Let's start there. So let's say, for example, I want to take a contract for difference on Anglo-American PLC. AGL, I want to buy, I want to go long. So what I now do is I buy, instead of going out and buying the underlying share, I, from my institution that I'm trading with, my broker or that broker's liquidity provider, or whoever the platform is providing, uh, I'm trading on, sells a contract to me for the difference in price between when I enter the contract and when I close the contract. So it's an indefinite contract that stays open for as long as I need it to stay open. I put down a margin deposit of 10 or 15 or whatever the margin requirement is, a percentage of the value of the the transaction that I'm doing. So if I want to buy one share at 555 Rand a share, I have to put down a 10% deposit of 55 bucks and 50 cents, right? Again, example, margin rates vary depending on shares and liquidity and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, but essentially, I put down this 10% deposit. The remainder, the 90% that I don't have the money for is basically uh, a loan that I'm taking from the liquidity provider. So I pay interest on that. At a certain interest rate uh, calculated daily of course so every position that i every day that i hold the position overnight i pay a uh, a small sort of what's called a swap fee or interest right and the contract basically says that if i enter into this contract to buy you know one share at 556 rand is where it's trading at the moment if the share price goes up to 600 rand you the liquidity provider will pay me 45 rand if the share price goes down to 500 Rand, I, the client, will pay you, the liquidity provider, 55 Rand. The difference in the price that I bought it at and the price that I sell it at. So that's basically a contract for difference, right? Very similar to a futures contract, except a few key differences that there's no expiry date to the contract. It can be perpetual. It doesn't have to be a minimum of 100 shares at a time. It can be a minimum of, well, fractions these days. It used to be just one share. Now it's fractions. Now you can buy a fraction of a share rather than buying the entire share. This does mean that you do not actually own the share. What you own is a contract between you and whoever sold that contract to you, whether that is an underlying you know, liquidity provider, aka a big company with lots of money that just does this as their ordinary form of business, essentially because they generate revenue in two ways. One, they charge you interest on the money that you borrow from them to you know, afford this contract. Two, what they often do is they make a spread between the buy and the sell. So the market is bid on Anglos at the moment 55,646, offered at 55,663. So they would then add 
a few cents on either side of that and that would be their you know they're making sort of when they're buying from some people at a higher at a lower price than what they're selling to others too right and that's kind of where they they make a little bit of margins in that sort of spread between the buy and the offer and in fact regulations in in different countries are different in the uk this is in fact called spread betting not trading right as we're in a dma environment a direct market access environment you are physically trading the actual share you can do this as a cfd as well but in this case you're then generally trading with like a prime broker or a member of the jsc locally at least where you're trading with you know the underlying broker or underlying liquidity provider here is a bank so the bank goes out and buys the actual share your order goes into the market you buy you know you can actually see your order in the real market in the order you know in the order central order book it gets filled the bank you know buys the stock takes it onto their balance sheet writes out this contract for difference contract to you and then obviously charges you interest for financing that position for you right because you're borrowing money from them and uh, doing a you know making an investment or doing a trade buying an investment instrument uh, on margin is so to speak so I, I, I don't know yeah I think there's a lot of sort of nuances and differences generally when you buy a share to have and to hold and to you know keep in your long-term portfolio forever that's going to be DMA right when you are transacting very often that's going to be OTC but now uh, you're going to do or you know when you're short-term trading very often at least for the majority of retail sort of traders that's going to be an OTC instrument of sorts where you're basically trading against the house right so whatever you lose they make and vice versa and there are different hedging strategies so they don't make a hundred percent of your losses nor do they you know pay a hundred percent of of your wins to you there is a hedging strategy in place so they do have uh, underlying hedges but it's still extremely profitable business versus you know doing it on a, on a on a DMA basis where for example every trade is transacted through the exchange and then a contract is written on the back of that makes the profitability a lot lower you know then the profit lies in the brokerage fees rather than in the um, the clients profitability but there are different sort of you know uses for each for example the majority of foreign currency or FX trading that people would do would be OTC uh, because the spot Forex market is interbank right we can't trade in there that's we don't have nearly enough money to trade in a multi-trillion dollar a day market comp you know trading with with real other big institutional banks so the trading that we do primarily in the sort of in the retail space on, on the on the forex stuff is all OTC is a reference rate they make a spread we'll buy and sell contracts to and from you you know if you lose thanks for the money if you win we'll pay you uh, we kind of just bank on the fact that most people lose which is part of the reason we don't really you know we don't really promote like hey come trade forex with us like yeah you can do it but it's better to trade stocks because at least if you lose your money you're losing it to someone else in the stock market you're not losing it to the broker <laughs> or to the liquidity provider whoever it may be right you literally lost out to someone else out there smarter than you that's fine so yeah so those are the primary sort of differences between OTC and um, DMA and I think you know with the fractionals they can be very helpful and I'm not saying that all OTC instruments are evil and you must spit them out and never touch them in the case of fractional ownership it's absolutely fine right <laughs> um, like we make use of fractionals for example in some of the we do some managed accounts and stuff uh, in, in the offshore space uh, and we do those in segregated accounts uh, and sometimes you want to have say one percent allocation or two and a half percent allocation to a stock that's very specific so you might have to then use a fractional in order to get the exact 
uh, amount of exposure that you need. So it, they can be very useful and they're not all evil and bad, uh, particularly if you're trading with, you know, larger institutions who are, you know, very established with strong balance sheets. Because essentially the risk you're taking, like with us, for example, a lot of the trading that we do, it goes through, you know, one of one of the big banks in the market. And we've now, we've got two sort of big bank partners and one of the sort of bigger prime brokers, stockbroking businesses in South Africa, in fact, the biggest, as our sort of underlying prime brokers, if you will. So the risk that you're taking here is really like, is one of the big four banks going to go down? I mean, if the answer is yes, then sure, there is a risk that you're going to lose your money to because the counterparty goes bust. But it is at least a very large institution that's underwriting that risk, uh, you know, to the clients. So that is something that you have to be aware of is that counterparty risk is, is a real thing. Yeah, I, I think you've raised a couple of interesting points. And I, I think the first one that you've raised was with regards to scaling, right? Because the more sophisticated you are, the more likely you are to be able to exist in a, in a DMA type of market, certainly, uh, certainly abroad. Uh, before some of our listeners think I've gone completely crazy, my, my Amazon reference was before the 20 to 1 stock split. So now Amazon <laughs> trades at around 100 and some odd dollars, not $2,000. Uh, that's not because you're buying a fraction of Amazon. It's because Amazon decided to do a stock split. But more than just, I guess, the, the scaling issue is also the issue in terms of the spread. And why I want to touch on that is sometimes if people are looking at historic price data and if they're backtesting and if they are using, for example, a CFD, in instances, they may not have a trade trigger because it falls outside of the CFD or you know the fractional owner, whoever they're dealing with. It falls outside of the spread that they had created even if the stock had traded at that level in the market. And, and you see this a lot in the FX market because I know many, many years ago, you know, the FX brokers would know where your stops would sit and you'd get these massive candles, you know, where everyone kind of get triggers, gets triggered on the way up or on the way down. You've executed and you close out of a trade. Uh, and hey, presto, when you come back the next day, you go and you look and there's no real transparency in terms of market pricing. Now, when it comes to equities specifically, there's the publicly quoted pricing, but you have heard of instances where people are like, well, why didn't my stop loss trigger? And it's potentially because on the DMA versus the pricing that's provided by their service provider, there's a subtle differentiation. So I think subtleties mm. like that are important for people to understand. Certainly when we bring in the thing that you mentioned in your very introductory comments around trigger orders, or if you have contingent orders saying, if the stock trades here, then I want to do X, Y, and Z. Now, yes, that's a level of sophistication for people that want to maybe program algorithmic trading, or they've got certain specific triggers that they want to execute on, but it's a very real risk that people need to understand, certainly if they're not uh, using a DMA service provider. Look, I've gotten myself into hot water for making comments around DMA versus OTC. Some people have... <laughs> have given me some very angry phone calls and, and things in the past. But basically, there have been a number of cases where people say, well, I got stopped out of this instrument and the market never traded there. Why did I get stopped out, right? And this happens a lot to people. But essentially, like, let's say, for example, like you... you even, even in the equity markets as well? Because I know it's in the, in the FX market. Primarily, definitely. when people get upset, it's in the equity market about it, right? Okay. For example, <laughs> you look at... Let's use any stock. You pick a stock. I don't want to... <laughs> um, you said Anglos. Let's use let's your use Anglos. Anglos. That's a good okay. example, right? Anglos. So let's say your stop loss is at 552, 552 rand. Uh, and the market trades all the way to 551.99. But now the offer price is at 552.01, but it never trades there. 
and your stop loss on the OTC platform is set at 552. Because the offer went to 552.01, you get stopped out. But all the guys on DMA accounts have to set up the last trade must be equal or greater to 552, and the last trade through the real market never took place. So everyone on the DMA accounts are still in. Okay, and I'm assuming this is a short position now, right? But everyone in this DMA accounts are still in, uh, but everyone on the OTC accounts got stopped out. So that is a key difference between the two. Now, yes, these types of things don't happen very often, but you have to be very careful when you set up your trades when you do this. Do you want the offer or the bid? Like if you are long, for example, and the bid drops below 550, does that stop you out? Or if the last trade drops below 550, do you stop out? You've got to make that differentiation. And if you are on an OTC platform, you have to sort of account for that. Because, for example, it could trade at 550.01, so 550.01 cent, and the nearest bid could be, you know, at 548. It never trades there. Nobody sells at 548. They keep buying at 550.01 cent and, and, and reverses. And, you know, DMA, you're still long because your, your stop loss never triggered, but the OTC guys are out and, you know, at 548 kind of thing uh, and all very grumbly and unhappy. So these are things that, this is why, you know, like, again, having the fastest car doesn't make you the best driver. But if you're starting to drive pretty fast, you better make sure you have a good car. Yeah, Pierci, that's exactly the point. Like, for some people, actually, for most people, a basic hatchback does everything. But, hmm. you know, the Ferrari 458 through Frontchuk Pass, you want to be able to choose the traction control. That sounds like a fond memory to me. It is a fond memory, but that's the point, right? So... You know, you want to be able to choose this stuff so that you understand what's going on underneath you. You understand what you're dealing with. Most people who have never experienced anything close to that, that's okay. And they don't need the stuff because it's just not in their frame of reference. Like, whereas if you are actively working with this stuff, you need it. That's how this game works. And exactly. Like, it's, it's also like it depends on what your goal is, right? If you just want to buy some stocks every now and then and hold them and keep them and have them and love them, fine. You don't necessarily need, you can start out with fractionals. Uh, what a lot of providers do, for example, we use uh, Interactive Brokers as, as one of our providers. It was also like, I don't know, one of the top five brokerage businesses in, in all the world kind of thing. Uh, so you can do fractionals through them. If you can buy one and a half shares, then the one share you own outright and the half you don't. But if you keep sort of buying a little bit, eventually you'll get to two and you'll have two outright. So it's, you kind of always have particularly with the fractionals, only the last little fraction piece is derivative. The full share is the full share, right? So it depends on, you know, if you're happy to do that and buy these things and add to them every month and continue to do that and, and use them as investments, sure. Uh, but if you're using them as trading instruments, it's absolutely better to trade on a direct market access platform where if it's a derivative or not, you know that the underlying is purchased by the prime broker and you know, the, the, also the counterparty risk is lower, right? Like, for example, if we take an order for 10,000 Anglos uh, and we buy 10,000 Anglos, then we know the bank is going out buying 10,000 Anglos. So the bank's probability of going bust on that is very low because if you can't pay, they still have the shares at least, you know? And if you make a ton of money off them, it's not like you're making their margin. They've got the shares. They just sell them in the market when you sell them. It's exactly, in fact, you're placing the order to sell those shares that they own on your behalf. So it's very low risk business for them as well. 
Uh, and they really are in it to charge you interest because you're they're giving you a bit of leverage. Yeah, I mean, Peter, I want, I want to touch on one additional point there. I think your point around the last fraction being kind of the counterparty risk component. Uh, the point I want to raise here is something we've raised on Magic Markets before, and that is custodianship, right? You, we are assuming that your counterparty buys those shares and puts it in a separate separate custodial account. Where I want to land mm. with this is this is exactly why it's so important for traders, investors who are starting out to use credible counterparties, to speak to educated people in the market, to educate themselves around what are your actual exposures? You know, are you actually facing counterparty risk? Do you have separate custodial access to your shares? Are they housed in a separate account and are they actually there? Or are you just another ledger entry in the person that you're facing's books? Because these are all subtle nuances. We can take it for granted that, yes, maybe the 10,000 shares sit there in a custodial account. But I mean, I've read of stories with some of the large international brokers where people didn't where people didn't really understand what they were getting into. Uh, and, and, and again, I think the story was Robin Hood. I stand corrected. But there was a little tick box exercise on Robin Hood that said, you know, do you want leverage or, 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 or it wasn't even that. It was, are you willing to enter into script lending, you know, to kind of boost your returns and so forth. And by default, if you had ticked that box, it meant that you faced their counterparty risk, introduced the leverage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It changed the fundamental nature of what you were actually holding. Now, I don't have the, the full details, so don't quote me on this. But I think the point I want to land on is that investors need to educate themselves. You know, the, the fact is, with modern technology, it's so easy. You download an app, you upload your forms. Hey, presto, you've got a trading account, but go and spend the time reading the terms and conditions, or better yet, speak to a counterparty, and here I'm going to bring you in. Speak to a counterparty like Karenia, who actually knows what you're doing, will speak to your investors, explain to them what their exposures are, because I think that's where a lot of people, as they go through the process of, as we always say, paying your school fees, there are some school fees that are not necessary to pay if someone can actually hold your hand and take you through some of these technicalities and nuances. A lot of the bigger providers have, you know, all the tools available, but you don't, like most of the clients don't really know that they can even ask for them. You know, like I mean, there's a reason we trade at Arena, we trade DMA. Like that's what we trade. All our providers, we trade DMA or we don't do it. And there's a reason for that. It's because you want to make sure that you give best pricing, best execution. You want to be able to take part in auctions. Like for example, a lot of CFD providers, you know, there's a 30-minute opening auction uh, at the beginning of each day and a 10-minute closing auction at the end of each day. A lot of CFD providers don't allow you to trade in that because they can't, you know, they're not trading directly in the market. As we're, you know, the, the accounts that we use, you can trade in those uh, auction periods at every time because if it trades in the real market, you want to trade it. And you know what, sometimes it means that you don't get guaranteed fills. Like with some CFD providers, for example, you can have a, a guaranteed stop loss where you pay two and a half percent or whatever it is, you know, or an additional fee for uh, for brokerage when you enter into the trade. And if the stock drops, you know, 10% and your guaranteed stop loss was 2%, then you don't take a 10% loss, you only take a 2% loss, right? Because, you, you know, in, in an OTC, I mean, you know, in a, in a DMA environment, uh, there might be slippage, there might just be no buyers, and you take the full loss in that case, right? So there's pros and cons, and it depends on, on you know, the individual trader, I guess. I mean, we way prefer DMA because we like to know that if we put a bid there, the market's going to respond to it. And we can, you know, if there's a lot of the time, it's fastest fingers first. Hey? If there's a, a big move that happens really quickly and there's only so many shares available, you buy it and it's yours. And, you know, the thing runs 10 or 20 percent or whatever the case is. So there's definitely, to me, at least more advantages to DMA than, than OTC. 
Petri, maybe I could just ask you one more question on the auction there. So on the JSC sends announcements will come out at the end of the day once trading is closed and then obviously the market can only react to that the following morning. So there's an example of if you're not allowed to participate in the auction or if you can't, then you're just waiting to see where the price lands and it lands where it lands. Whereas, you know, if there was big news overnight, the auction's going to see a lot of action. But do your guys at Herenia, do you and the other traders there generally try and you know, get a piece of the auction there. It must Sometimes, be quite risky, I would and, think. Yeah, forgive me, and please, with, with a pinch of salt, I am Afrikaans, you know, um, but when Farnioppi Plas is sitting there, he phones up his broker and he says, get me out of Anglos, I don't care what price, I got a thousand shares, just sell. Broker puts in a market order first thing in the morning. And now suddenly, okay, I mean, the Anglos may be a bad example, but Kumba, man, sometimes Kumba opens at like, four and too low because it's just some guys put a market order in and you can see there's no way that this thing is like or 10 bucks lower and you're just like no way there's a, there's a thousand shares here, or there's two thousand shares or there's 500 or whatever that is a golden opportunity so yes yeah, sometimes there are opportunities to make a quick five ten bucks uh on a share on you know like a big share price or things are mispriced you know people make mistakes people uh enter the wrong numbers people uh enter market orders when they should be putting in limit orders or whatever the case is and that creates opportunities um and look it's like i said fastest fingers first eh? the auction closes at exactly a certain time oh there's a random period uh before the close so you don't know exactly when it's going to close ever to prevent that sort of manipulation thing right but you can sit and you can watch it and you can say well you know all of these things happened overnight and anglers is going to you know open five rand lower it makes no sense there's an opportunity to grab some out of auction and then within minutes you could have made a very good trade yeah not for beginners. Peter, last one in the interest of time from me is maybe explain the difference between the auction and after-hours trade, which happens predominantly in, in the U.S. international markets for our listeners, for our subscribers. You know, how does that work? What's the difference between the auction and the after-hours trade? Okay, so the U.S. doesn't really do auctions the way that we do. So we use the FTSE system, uh, Trade Elect or whatever it's called. It's the same system that the U.K. runs on, right? as where the U.S. has different, completely different systems. So they have a pre-market and post-market. Basically, their market just is open for many more hours than what ours is, and they just do, you know, central order book matching of trades for much longer periods of time. And then there's a pre- and post-market, and um, essentially, it's just the order book's open and you can trade. So pre- and post in the U.S. is just going to be less volume because the brokers would have gone home uh, or wouldn't have been at work yet. As we're in South Africa, we have these auction periods where uh, I think the first thing to understand is continuous trading, right? So the continuous trading proportion is from nine o'clock to 10 to five every day, which is where uh, there's one central order book where all your bids and offers can go into. And if two prices match, ta-da, a trade is matched and it goes for settlement, right? Now, during the auction periods, there's different types of auctions. I don't want to get too technical in them, but there's like liquidity auctions, there's volatility auctions, there's you know opening, closing auctions, all sorts of different types of auctions. But let's just focus opening and closing, right? So in the beginning, for 30 minutes, uh, from half past eight to nine, there you can enter all your orders into the central order book. And if two prices overlap, they will not be matched because we're in an auction process. Um, and in the background, an algorithm is being run the whole time to determine at what price point the absolute maximum number of shares can be transacted. And that is how the opening price is then determined. At what price level can we trade the most volume? And that same process happens at the end of the day. And this is generally when the big institutions trade more at the end of the day than, than at the beginning of the day. 
so you know like let's say for example we go back to anglers i'm bidding at 560 you're offering at 530 you know assuming the same amount of volume uh on either side we're going to fall exactly in the middle uh as the uncrossing price of that auction right between the two between the bid and the offer but now you can balance the order book so if there's more buyers it might push the price slightly higher uh, at what price point do we transact the most number of shares that's all that the auction is trying to determine the fair value for opening and closing the market in south africa what we can do is about five minutes after the closing auction there is a post-market trade situation where you are allowed to trade but only at the closing price so if there's leftover volume on the sell or leftover volume on the bid you know at the closing price you can trade those shares for about a five or ten minute period after the market is closed but beyond that there's no pre and post market uh, and there's no sort of price changes that can happen, at least not on our market, on the UK market, because we, we run the same system, essentially. But uh, in the US, there is a, um, you know, a post market where all the brokers close up shop and go home, but the market still is active and people can still trade. And what happens is then the, the bid offer spreads open really wide. So that's sometimes you get some crazy big percentage moves on very little volume because uh, the institutions are no longer playing the game during those periods. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I, I think that's interesting because, you know, we've got these these different opportunity sets, you know, either in a closing auction or in extended trade in the U.S., uh, and that's quite nice. One last one from me is, you know, how I currently use a, a charting platform called TradingView, right? It's, it's something that we've done. We do it in Magic Markets Premium. I, say, I share some of those charts. A lot of people are using that because charting software is not necessarily the best on your trading platform. But I see more recently that they've also got the ability to tie that up to your broker, and to actually then trade off your charts, which is something that a lot of people who are utilizing charts for technical analysis for the entry and exit levels, uh, that's something that's very valuable to them. Is that something that you guys are looking at at Arrhenia? Is it something that you currently do? Uh, you know, and, and should the market be aware of it? So yes, it is something that we currently do. Uh, we have two different account options that you are able to link and trade directly through TradingView. Um, and TradingView is great. I use TradingView as well. Most of the people in our community use TradingView. I think, you know, a lot of trading platforms even have uh, used TradingView charts, you know, built into the platforms. It's really uh, fantastic. So what we, um, you know, there are different, there are two different account options that you can use through us. One is kind of like a local account. Uh, you do have access to international shares and stuff. Uh, we have a peer offshore offering, which is basically interactive brokers. So you can link your interactive brokers account to your TradingView profile. Uh, and then another one of the, the options is the Velocity Trader. Uh, accounts, which is a, a very popular local platform that people like to use that we obviously offer as well. Uh, those accounts you will be able to link through to your TradingView profile as well. So you can basically log into TradingView, log into your trading account, trade directly from TradingView, which is very cool. So for the very technical sort of swing trading technical traders, uh, that's a cool option. Not so nice for the intraday traders. I think they need, um, you know, slightly more robust price action orientated uh, trading platforms, but for the technical chartists and the, the guys who like to trade, which I think is the majority of the market, truly. It's a very, very cool solution. And we're very excited that we uh, have the ability to allow traders to, to use essentially what could be argued as one of the most popular and best charting tools in the world at the moment uh, as their direct access point into DMA trading. I, I like that because I want to try and convince Ghost to actually get uh, involved with some of the swing trading ideas that we've got in Magic Markets Premium. So, uh, Ghost, they, there you have it. You know, Peter will be able to hook you up. You can use those trading view charts that we have in Magic Markets Premium and you can trade directly from your chart. Uh, we're going to bring you into the world of trading rather than just the, the buy and hold of, uh, for Evercrew, right? 
Well, you must just tell me what to do. Then when it doesn't go well, I can just say it was your fault instead of me doing my own research. Isn't that the right way to do it? Isn't that how the pros there's do it? There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that'll recommend great books. Uh, we've got great traders, guys and girls in our community. They'll help you learn. They'll give you trading journals. They'll give you advice and not really like buy this, sell that, but like how to manage your emotions and all that stuff. Some really good experienced traders in our community. You're welcome to to hop in there too and learn. And then Mo can give you some trade ideas. We can give you some guidance in terms of risk management and psychology and that kind of stuff. Pietri, listen, thank you. It's been uh, really good to have you. I've learned a lot today. Pretty technical show, but it's what we do on Magic Markets. Sometimes it's stuff that's easier to understand. Sometimes it's stuff that'll stretch you. I think that's important because it's not simple. The markets are not simple. And for those who do want to learn more, I mean, you're always super open to people messaging you, asking you, trying to understand more. That's how Arena has been built. So... For those who want to find out more, they can find you on Twitter. They can just find Herenia online. Uh, you know, click the link that you'll find wherever you're listening to this. You'll find it in the blurb of this podcast or on the website. And uh, go and check it out and just find out as much as you can and learn. Pietri, we look forward to having you back in about a month's time as per normal. Good luck in the markets. Don't break anything. <laughs> Thank you very much, man. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat to you guys. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor 